Amen. Take take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. If you've been joining us on Sunday nights for our Bible study on the book of Revelation, that song, you were recognizing a number of Bible truths in that song. Um, Someday the Lord Jesus Christ is going to create a new earth and a new heaven. And the old earth and the old heaven are going to be done away with. They're going to be destroyed. And uh, he's, he's going to make all things new. And then there's going to be a new Jerusalem, that great city, that holy city, the dwelling place of God. And there's going to be no need for the sun or the moon to light that city because it's going to be lit by God himself. And uh, that's what that song was all about. So if you've been here on Sunday nights, you recognize some truths in that song as he was singing it. But we're not there yet. It's not a new heaven and it's not a new earth. And there's no uh, holy city, the new Jerusalem, uh, over the current site of Jerusalem today. We live today in a sin-cursed earth, don't we? And uh, you and I, uh, who are saved, are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And Paul's been talking about that here in chapter 3. You might remember that. Uh, As he prayed for the church at Ephesus, that they would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that they would... uh, know the power of the Lord Jesus Christ living within their hearts. And he talked about how, as he prayed for them, that they would know the love of Christ, that they'd be rooted and grounded in the love of God, uh, understanding its uh, width and height and breadth and, and uh, those sort of things. And then he talked about the fullness of God, having all the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily dwelling within us. And look back at chapter 3 and verse number 20 and verse 21. Because of the provisions that God has given to us, his Holy Spirit, the indwelling Christ living within us, the love of God, the fullness of God. He says in verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. His power is working in us as individuals corporately, As a church, he says in verse 21, unto him be glory in the church. Honor in the church is what he's saying by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And then he says, amen. Sometimes uh, we say amen in a church service. Uh, Some of us do. Some of us don't say anything and others uh, say it a lot more than others. But the word amen means uh, may it be so. Let it be so. May it be so. It's not just a period or a question mark. I've heard it used that way. Uh, maybe in a, in a way like this. Uh, 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 God is good. Amen. A question mark, you know. But the word amen has the idea of may it be so. This is the truth. God's going to be glorified in the church by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And, and as Paul prays, he says, amen. May it be so. And, and I just imagine in his heart there's this fervent desire as he writes to this church that this would be, this would be so. Last week as we looked at chapter 4, we, we, we considered the first number of verses there in chapter 4. And I want to pick up in our text beginning in verse number 9. Uh, verse number 9. We'll start in verse 7. He says this, But unto every one of us is given grace... According to the measure of the gift of Christ, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was crucified, and, and uh, his dwelling after he was crucified, but then he was raised from the dead. And now he comes to verse number 11. And remember, in chapter 4, the main theme of chapter 4 is unity in the church. Unity in the church. You remember how we talked about this? Unity is not uniformity. I jokingly said, you know, uh, let's all decide what we're going to wear. We'll all match, and then we'll have unity. That's not unity at all, is it? You say, that's no, that's weird. That's what that is. It, it would be. be a little weird. might be a little cultish, perhaps. That's not unity. You can say, well, we're all going to have the same standards, you know. Uh, standards are very good. They're wise. They're even biblical. But, no, we're all growing differently in our walks with the Lord. We're in different places, maturity-wise. But So it's not a matter of we all have the same standards. We all set our alarm clocks for the same time. We all read the same verses every day. No, we all pray the same words. No, no, that's, that wouldn't be unity. That'd be uniformity. That'd be uh, us being uniform in what we do, but still lacking unity. And, and God is saying, I want you to be unified. I want you to be unified. And so Christ, notice, gave some gifts to the church so that the church could have the unity that God desires. Look at verse number 11 and 12, and this will be our text this morning. And he gave some, Christ gave some, apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. He died to save our souls from death and hell. He paid our price, the price for our sin, the wages. He paid those wages. But when he died on the cross uh, for the salvation of our soul, and he rose again the third day that we might live, that we might be alive in Christ, uh, he also had plans, and he ascended to be with the Father, and he gave some gifts for the church, that the church might be what God wants it to be. Look back to verse number one of chapter four, and I want to read the first six verses now with this in mind, because pastors ought to be dedicated to this, and we talked about it last week, that all of us ought to be dedicated to this, because our Lord and Savior is dedicated to it. In verse one, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What is that vocation? And the context is one of unity in the church. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring, that's a continual action, continually working to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we looked at these words, didn't we? The, the vocation wherewith we've been called is the unity of the church. The unity of the church is produced by the Spirit, it says in verse 3. It's the unity of the Spirit. But we have a role to play, and that role was have a, 
uh, a lowliness. Be, be humble, be meek, have a quiet strength. Suffer long with one another. The idea, remember, was to put up with each other sometimes. Um, that's, that's a part of it. Um, and, then, and then he said, forbearing one another in love. There ought to be, it ought to be rooted and grounded in love. Endeavoring, never quitting to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. These are the marks of what a church should look like. And in a very real way, through the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, the Lord is painting a picture for you and for me as church members to look at what should a church look like. And I've told you this before, you can take away the building, you can take away the address, you can take away the nonprofit uh, 501c3 tax-exempt status, and you still have a church. A group of people saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and dwelt by Christ himself, living within our hearts, rooted and grounded in love, comprehending the fullness of that love and with having the fullness of the Godhead bodily within us. You have this glorious church as we just sang about. And this is what God desires for you and for me. And he gave us some gifts that we might have this. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'd help us now as we study your word. Father, may you be glorified in this assembly of believers, I pray. We are not a perfect people. We fail you more than we would want to acknowledge or admit. But you have saved us, and you have robed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have forgiven us of all sin. We belong to you, and we love you. And Father, help us to clearly know what we ought to to be dedicated to what's important to you. Father, I pray as I preach this sermon about your desire for us as a church, I pray that it would sink down into our hearts and it would become our passion and our longing because it is your passion and your desire. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I could ask the question, what is the purpose for Trinity Baptist Church? Or, and what is the purpose for a church, church in the first place? Uh, what is God's desire? We could all go around the room and we could probably come up with different things. There would be different thoughts that would be communicated. Well, this is what I think a church should be. Or this is why I come to church. Or this is what I think our church should be for the future. But really... All of the conjecture that we might be able to stir up within this assembly this morning uh, pales in comparison and importance when compared to what God says he wants for his church and what he desires for his church. So, in answer to the question, what is God's purpose for the church, I, I could say, what should my desire, what should your desire be for Trinity Baptist Church? You know, the reason... You see in verse 11 that Christ gave apostles and prophets, and we don't believe that those are being used anymore in the New Testament church because we have the completed word of God. But then you see evangelists, uh, someone who is skilled in giving the gospel, but not just skilled, but called of God. And he too 
not while the word evangelist has the idea of a proclaimer of the gospel. The evangelist, as we see in our text, also is a very important role to play in the edifying, the building up, the equipping of the church. So he's not just supposed to be out there seeking to win lost souls, but he's also being used of God within the church. In verse 12, perfecting the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry and the saints can be edified, built up into this beautiful, God-honoring body that he calls the body of Christ. And then you see at the end of verse 11, there are some pastors and teachers. One of the qualifications of a pastor is being apt to teach. That is, that God has given to him an ability to teach the word of God. And within that, being apt to teach, being called to teach and called to preach, is a willingness to put in the hours to study the word of God. And you remember Paul talked to Timothy about that study. He told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study in a way that God would be pleased with how you're studying, Timothy. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so a pastor is to be apt to teach, called of God to teach, willing to put in the effort to teach. Willing to teach when it's easy and everybody's happy and when nobody's happy. I haven't faced that yet. So there are reasons that the evangelist and the pastor is given. There are reasons that Christ has given these gifts, is what he calls, is, is what they are. They're gifts to the church. Now you can go home and say, Pastor thinks he's God's gift to the church. It doesn't always feel like that. And the purpose is so that the pastors would be used of God to perfect the church. That's the term he uses in verse 12. You see it there, for the perfecting of the saints. We've talked about this before, that saints are not a group of people who are dead, who a council has made a decision, these people lived a good life, they're saints. No, remember, saints are living, breathing people who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They're alive. He's talking about you. He calls you saints who, are, who have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And so what's the purpose of these evangelists? Why did Christ give these evangelists and these pastors to the church? And the answer is for the perfecting, the mending, uh, is the word perfecting. It literally has the idea of to mend, to mend a life, to mature a believer. That's the idea of the word perfecting, to equip the saints. And God is not asking for sinless perfection. That's not what he's after. He will do that. He will accomplish that. But what he's asking for is fully equipped full-grown, mature believers. And that's what God's desire is for the church. I want to look at those thoughts in this text this morning. Uh, God wants his church to be mature. Now, as I'm giving you these thoughts from the word of God, they ought to be thoughts not that just go through our minds, run through our minds, and we put them aside and never remember them again. They ought to be something that we grab a hold of as we see it in the scripture and the Spirit of God illumines our hearts to understand it. It ought to be something, 
If, it, if it's something God wants, should not you and I want it to? What do you think? Should we want it as well? And the answer to that is yes, we should. So I notice, first of all, that God wants his church to be mature. Look there in verse number 12, the beginning part. He says, for the perfecting of the saints. He gave these gifts in verse 11. For the perfecting of the saints. And that word perfecting means maturing or uniting even. It can have an idea of that. It has the idea of mending. And the Bible tells us that God is actively working to make us mature, to grow us up. It's something that we work, as, work on as parents with our children, right? We work that they'll grow up. Um, there have been times where that statement has been used. You know, you're growing up. And so as you're growing up, you need to do things differently than you used to do them. There needs to be a maturing among believers, just like there is a maturing amongst our children. And God is actively working to accomplish this. He brings us to maturity through his Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 3, in verse number 2, Paul writes, This only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are, you, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So it's not something that we can actually even do of ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the divine person of the Trinity actively involved in the maturing of the saints. And I, and I want you to know that this morning. I, I think we all ought, there ought to be some sense of responsibility, certainly, because He, the Holy Spirit, matures us. He grows us. But we also know that we can grieve Him and we can quench Him and we can say no to Him. But God is dedicated to this, and it will be accomplished someday. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to accomplish this in our lives. He, and he actively, the Holy Spirit, from within us, actively works, and he convicts us, doesn't he? He brings conviction into our hearts, and he teaches us. He says, this is the truth. He illumines his word to us. He teaches us, he guides us in decisions that we make in life. He comforts us when we grieve and when we mourn and sometimes are tempted to throw in the towel and give up. And all for the purpose of developing us, maturing us, and the word is perfecting. Perfecting. I also am reminded from scripture that God brings us to maturity through trials. He uses his Holy Spirit who never leaves us nor forsakes us. But he also brings us to maturity. He helps us to grow up through trials. When a person lifts weights, and uh, they, they in, a, in a sense, they bring opposition to themselves on that weight bench. Why? Because they want to strengthen parts of their body. And in a similar way, God does that in our lives as believers. In, effort, in an effort and to strengthen us and to grow us, to make us stronger where we were weak. He will bring trials into our lives. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, diverse trials. Count it all joy when you got a lot of trials on your plate. How many of you, that's your first response? Got a lot of trials, and you're like, this is great, honey. Another trial. We don't do that. And so God has to tell us, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse trials. 
Trials of all different sorts. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith, do you really believe what you say you believe? Do you keep coming back to the word of God when you're facing these different trials or do you shelf it? You shelve it and just kind of set it aside. You, you, do you give up on church when hardships come into your lives? He says, count it all joy, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word patience has the idea of endurance. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, he says. Mature and entire, you're fully equipped, wanting nothing. Peter talked about the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. He said, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, make you mature. You know, God uses hardship. When you are facing hardship, and maybe you are this morning, when you're facing hardship, know this, that God is working in your life through the trials to help you grow up in him, to be who he wants you to be, who he saved you to be. So God brings maturity to us through his Holy Spirit, through trials, and through also the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter wrote, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may be able to grow thereby. There are some here this morning, and you've not been saved for that long. Maybe it's been four or five months. Maybe for some it's a year or two. You've not been saved for that long, and you're still growing. You need the Word of God. And, and God identifies it as the milk of the Word. And by the way, being a, a babe in the Lord, or a babe in Christ, it's not a slight. You shouldn't be offended at that. Um, but we ought to be growing, too. It would be very sad if... if uh, and we have several babies in the church, but it would be very sad if... Elena Freilich did not continue to grow. She's a healthy little baby girl. And she's growing. She's maturing. And she needs that sustenance so that she'll continue to grow. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. There's that word again, mature. You see, really, and that's why I'm, I'm, I don't often do this, but I've broken off from the text just a little bit just because I want us to be confronted with the reality that God is dedicated to you and me growing, to you and I growing up, you and me growing up. He wants us to grow up. And so his Holy Spirit is working in our hearts to grow us. And he, he's, he is literally has himself brought some trials into our lives to grow us. And, and he gives us, he's given us his word so that we will grow in him. God wants his church to be mature. And in our text, we see very simply that he gave pastors and teachers for the maturing of the saints. It's part of the reason. And, and you might be able to say, Pastor, I can see the connection here in the passage. He's given pastors and teachers like trials for the maturing of my faith. Well, I hope I'm not a trial to you. I certainly don't want to be. But you know, whether it's pastors and teachers, trials, the Holy Spirit, or his word, all of those things have been given by God to bring maturity in our hearts and our lives. So the Holy Spirit is maturing saints. 
Our Heavenly Father is bringing these tests and trials into our lives to mature us. And the primary area I am involved in uh, as a pastor that I am involved in bringing maturity into your life or the life of a church member is through the preaching and teaching of his word. Christ gave pastors. He gave evangelists. He gave prophets. He gave apostles. And who did he give these men to? He gave them to the church. For what purpose? To perfect the church, to grow the church, to mature the church. And and to some degree, these men, pastors and teachers, evangelists, are the trophies of Christ, as any saved person would be, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I say trophies of Christ's victory over Satan at the cross. And that's kind of a two-sided compliment, a backhanded compliment, because I could say it another way. Christ saved a wretch like me, a sinner who deserved death and hell for all of eternity. And he, and he, he, he saved me and, and, and rebirthed me by his Holy Spirit. And he has actively worked in my life. And he has called me to give my life to preach his word to his people so that they can grow in him. Christ has given me and, uh, and pastors of other churches and other areas back to the church as a gift for the purpose of maturing and equipping the saints. And so what is my God-given responsibility as a pastor? Well, I, I, I told you that the term uh, uh, perfect, perfecting has the idea of maturing or uniting. It even has the idea of mending, of mending. And what is my purpose as a pastor? And it's to bring believers to maturity, to completeness, to not give up on people. Bring them to a full-grown individual in Christ and his word. And it's not that I can do it in and of myself, but in the, the word of God does it. And the trials that he's working in your life does it. And the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you does it. And really it's not me that does it, it's just me who's been, who's been called by God to be dedicated as an under-shepherd. Not the great shepherd, not the Lord Jesus Christ, but an under-shepherd to give his life to tend to the needs of the flock. Sometimes people ask me, Seth, what's your goal for Trinity Baptist Church? What's your vision? I like that one. What's my vision for Trinity Baptist Church? Normally I have dreams when I eat pizza too late at night. But normally they're not dreams about the church. What is my goal? My goal, as God saves people and adds them to the church, my goal is to bring the saints that God has given me to maturity. And in in a very real way, I'm not interested in having, it's not a longing of my heart to have more, to have a a greater attendance number, a greater number in attendance than the church down the street. It's not to build a mega church. I don't ever want the reputation of Trinity Baptist Church to overshadow the reputation of, and the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't believe my success as your pastor is based upon the number of people I pastor. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. 
though it is true that numbers are important in the sense of souls. But nowhere in Scripture do I find Paul telling Timothy to do these three things so you can have a bigger or more well-attended program. I don't find anywhere in Scripture these things. A young man came to Spurgeon at one particular time, and he said, I have a complaint. My congregation is too small. And Spurgeon responded, well, perhaps they are as large as you'd like to give an account for on the Day of Judgment. And I'm reminded of that, that I will answer to God, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for your souls. I can tell you that at times it is a tremendous burden to bear, and it is something that I am still learning. I have not learned to give over to the Lord and not take upon myself what is his responsibility to do, and yet not be negligent in my responsibility. My responsibility as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, as a teacher of the word of God, is not to put on a program. The responsibility that I have to you is not to provide the greatest social programs as, as can be possibly put together in this church. My responsibility to you is not to make sure that you're entertained. The task that I have been given is simply stated in the middle of verse 12. Equip the saints. Equip the saints. And the Apostle Paul understood this. You're in Ephesians. Look with me to Colossians, if you would. Colossians. It's not far away. So turn there with me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Paul understood this idea of equipping the saints. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, he's talked about this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, in verse 27. And what a wonderful truth that is. And then in verse 28 he says, Whom we preach, that is, we're preaching Christ, Paul says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, mature in Christ Jesus. It was Paul's desire. It was his heartbeat. It was at the heart of his ministry. You're still in Colossians. Look over to chapter 4 in Colossians Verse number 12, Colossians chapter 4 in verse, and verse number 12. Epaphras understood this, a dear saint of God. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. He says hi to you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. For what purpose? What is this church member Epaphras laboring fervently for the church at Colossae in prayers for. Notice the end of verse 12. That ye may stand perfect, mature, and complete in all the will of God. So this is God's desire for the church. And, and while in our passages we're passing through Ephesians, we come to this, these gifts that God, that Christ has given to back to the church. Pastors and teachers, okay, with a very heavy responsibility, but it's not just something that pastors are to be dedicated to. It's something that you are to be dedicated to as well. And I see that in Epaphras' life. And Paul and the Holy Spirit identify him by name. It's so important. Epaphras, he longs for you and he fervently prays for you that you'll be mature, that you'll grow up and you'll fulfill the will of God in your life. Look back to Ephesians chapter 4. 
to a very real extent as I look at these verses that he gave pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. I'm, I can't help but seeing it that it is my God-given responsibility to see that Trinity Baptist Church matures in the Lord. And how is this accomplished? Well, we are mended and we are matured. We are unified through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, through right doctrine. That's how. And we looked at that. We saw that earlier last week in chapter 4, the beginning part. You see, right doctrine produces maturity. This is so important. And I mentioned it last week that in our day and age, you know, doctrine, in a sense, has kind of been shoved back like it's not that important. And, and, and as, pa- as a pastor, and as uh, I, I talk to other evangelists and other pastors on, on occasion, and there's this sense of pressure. And I don't know if it's new. It's probably been around longer than just the last 5 or 10 or 20 years. But there's this, you feel like you're being pushed, like there's, we need to entertain we, and I'm not saying, and I told you last week, nobody hates a boring message more than me. Nobody hates a boring sermon more than a pastor. But sometimes as a pastor and as, or a teacher, and there are teachers in this room, and you teach Sunday school classes, and we love to make people laugh, and we love that people like us, but as a teacher or a preacher of the Word of God, our, uh, the, more, the most important uh, responsibility of a teacher or a preacher is not that people would like us. Now, we, we ought not make it your goal that people would not like you. Okay, that ought not be my goal. But it is more important that I can stand before God someday and he can say, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That I have preached and taught the word of God what it says. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove. Rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, doctrine, right teaching. This is how the church is built. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6, Paul told Timothy again, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. I'm commanded to give the church doctrine because that's what it takes to make the church mature. When when I think of you as parents with children in the home, in our day, there's a, a large movement, too, that we need to provide entertainment for our children within the church. And parents, I want to tell you something. You and I need to teach our children that if all the programs were stripped away, and there were none, that this is what they need. And we need to teach our children that, you know what, on a Sunday night, it's a great opportunity for this because there isn't a program. There's not a child's program. It's a great opportunity for you to teach your children. And, and I'll, I'll be frank with you. My son, William, who's five, who comes Sunday nights, he's like, you know, he's like, really, do we have to go again? I mean, this happens on Sunday afternoon. He's like, oh, so I just, I'm just telling you that because some of you as parents, I'm sure, might face the same thing. Coming on a Sunday morning to go to Sunday school and, and to be the special boy or the special girl who gets a big lollipop, you know, that's fun, you know. Or a junior church, you know, Pastor Burden's back there probably doing backflips and all kinds of things, and he's engaging the children. And, and that's fine, and there's a, there's, a, there's a place for that to a degree. But you know, parents, it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to help my children grow up and mature 
so that when they get older and they grow out of junior church, and this is, a, this is not an easy thing. It's going, to some, some be, it's going to have to be something you're going to have to work at. You need to teach them that they need the teaching of the Word of God. And it's not going to be a one-time, you need the teaching of the Word of God, son, William. Get in the van. That's not what it is. It's a weekly struggle. And, 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 and by the way, you know, I don't have to sit with him. Cindy has to sit with him by herself. And some of you have witnessed her taking him out many times during the evening service. He, he's being, we're training him up. And you know what? Then there's going to come another phase in life. As, he grows, as they grow older, I hope it's not just him, but the others, they grow older, right? And, and we're going to have to, as parents, work through them, and we're going to have to be an example to them, not just with our words, you need the teaching of the Word of God, but son, I need the teaching of the Word of God. That's why I come back. And grandparents, by the way, you can be a tremendous example to your grandchildren and your children as you continue to pursue the teaching of the Word of God. And it's a wonderful example to them that they need it as well. Right doctrine is how the church has grown. It's how it matures. And frankly, anything else, for any other reason that a church grows, it's on sinking sand. It's on shifting sand. It doesn't have a firm foundation. It's not going to last very long. What God's after is a firm foundation. And so Paul told Timothy, study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Sometimes as I, I'll work through the week, and I, I, most of you know me well enough to know, I like doing things, writing things, driving things, shooting things. I like doing things. I'm an active person. And so sometimes I'll, I've even said to Cindy, oh, why did God call me to this? I mean, public speaking, when I was in college, if I had to raise my hand to ask a question, I would start sweating. You know, I'd have to work up the guts to ask a question. And every week I have to stand and give a oral report of what I've studied all week, multiple times. But you know what? God doesn't make any mistake. But it goes against my flesh. There might be something else. You know, that I might prefer in my flesh. But it is a wonderful calling to be able to study the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. Our responsibility is to receive it. You know, it's God's desire for Trinity Baptist Church. I should say it this way. If God's desire for Trinity Baptist Church is going to be fulfilled, then we need to be committed to the preaching of the whole counsel of God. Turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 again. I want to draw your attention to this passage again. I, I preached on it some, a, couple, a few years ago, I believe, on Sunday evenings. But I think I pointed it out last week. But I want you to look and I want you to ponder this reality again. And I want you to answer the question in your own heart and your own mind. Are you one of these people? Are you being tempted in this way? And if you are, don't give in to it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verse number, what is it, verse number 11. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Word, what we say, conversation, our manner of life. In charity, in your love, 
in spirit, in faith, taking God at his word in purity. Till I come, Paul says, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. I need to hear that. Which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Boy, that's important. There's a, there's a temptation to just toss in the towel and say, you know what? What do the people want to hear? Because we read last week, there's coming a day where pe- people are going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're going to, the people are going to, who have itching ears are going to heap to themselves teachers who are telling them what they want to hear. And so as a pastor, as a preacher, as someone who has to speak weekly, there is this fleshly side. There's this battle between the Spirit of God within me and His calling upon my life. And then, well, if I didn't preach that, they might enjoy it more. If I preached this, I think maybe more would come. Maybe they'd come back. And for those of you who claim to hold to the truth of the Word of God and you value it, it ought to be evident to others. Look back at verse number 12, the beginning part. Notice the word perfecting again, this idea of maturing. This, and and when, the, when the believers are maturing, there is a wonderful unity and healing that's brought to a church. You see, the word perfecting can also refer to the coming together of dislocated limbs. And Paul used it that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined together. All came from one Greek word. In the same mind and in the same judgment. And so perfecting, the perfecting of the saints can really mean three things. It can mean the mending together of broken believers. Like the mending of nets. Or the bringing individual believers to maturity. And the welding together of all those individual believers into one harmonious group. The bringing together of dislocated limbs. Have you ever had a a knee or an arm or something come out of joint? Have you ever had that? Anybody ever had that? Okay, a couple of you. What What was the look on your face like when that was happening? It was horrible, wasn't it? Uh, I I have an issue with one of my knees that if I get on the floor with my kids and I'm wrestling, I get in the wrong position. The knee will just go whoop. And and then for just a moment, my kids are like, we beat dad, look at him. We've defeated him. And I'm I'm just, it's horrifying. I mean, it's just horrible. And I just kind of hold on to something and, and all of a sudden it'll just come right back in. But it's very, very painful. And you know what? Sadly, sadly, Sometimes in churches, that's the way that it is. And I want you to know, I will do everything in my power to keep that from happening in this church. It's not appropriate 
It's not God's plan for you and for me. He's talked about this unity. He's talked about how you need to be dedicated to the unity of the Spirit. And boy, that's, that's, that's accomplished when you and I as individuals say yes to Him. Say yes to His Word. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's no law against these things. Boy, we need to be dedicated to those things. So, this bringing together of dislocated limbs, the joining of the saints, the ministry, the spiritual gifts, the fellowship responsibilities, the sharing with one another, the praying for one another, the serving one another, the ministering our gifts one to another. Use the gifts that God's given you. If you can sing, sing. If you, if you can if you labor with, with uh, tools and you can do those sort of things, I'm talking about natural talents and abilities or skills that you've developed over years of your life. Use them for the glory of God. Use them in the church. Or spiritual gifts, as we've studied in past years. Use those. They were given to you by the Holy Spirit for the local church. And you know what? We can benefit from those spiritual gifts outside of the church. There's some benefit to that. But primarily, they were given by God to you and to me, entrusted into our care for the body of Christ. Use them for his glory. Because there's going to come a day where we're not going to be able to use those in this lifetime anymore. So what is the result when the body of Christ comes together in maturity and unity and there's the mending and lives are being mended and put back together and we're all at different stages of growth in our lives? Well, look at verse number 12, the middle part. God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. Verse 12, it says that he's given in verse 11 pastors and teachers for the maturing, the perfecting of the saints. For, For what point? For what purpose? For the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. The saints are doing the work of the ministry. You see it there. And by the way, um, you know I don't hold to the teaching that has clergy and laity. Those are unbiblical terms. I am a member of Trinity Baptist Church. You are a member of Trinity Baptist Church. We all have different gifts, we have different talents, we have different abilities. But all of us, as saints, are to be doing the work of the ministry. And part of the reason, though, God Christ gave pastors is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. What does the Bible say about the work of the ministry? Well, the Bible tells us that every one of us is called to minister. What is the work of the ministry? And, I, and I'll answer that in this way. The, the work of the ministry is serving Christ every day. That's the work of the ministry. You know, if we could only get all of us to come into the office Monday through Friday from 8 to 4.30, then we would really accomplish something for the Lord. That's not what he calls us to do. That's not what he's asked us to do. That's not my goal. If that were to happen, I wouldn't know what to do. You need to be in the workplace. Where God, you as moms need to be in the home with your children. Some of you work secular jobs or, or out of the home and in the home. You've got all the more to do. Some of you are retired. You have, your ministries have changed with time. 
But you know what? You need to serve the Lord. You need to do the work of the ministry, and that is serving Christ every day. The work of the ministry. Ministry has the idea of an attendant or a servant or a service. Practical service. Spiritual ministries even. And notice how our service is described. He describes it as the work of the ministry. Work. I talked to my Sunday school class about this this very word this morning. It means labor, an act, a deed, a, a toil even. In other words, serving the body of Christ is not always easy. Serving the body of Christ is not always easy, and it's not always enjoyable. Well, I want to I want to get I want to be in I want to serve the Lord, but I want it to be something that I enjoy. I want that for you too. But you know what? There are going to be times along your journey through your Christian life within the local church and, and, and while you're out in the highways and byways and in your home where you're going to have God-given responsibilities and they're not going to be enjoyable. We all, we all understand that. And where there is a ministry, there must be ministers. Where there is service, there must be servants. And my responsibility is to equip you so that you can serve one another. Every one of us have been called by God to serve. He's given us gifts. He's entrusted them into our care. And we can only manage the gifts that God has given to us if we use those gifts appropriately. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister, serve the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has given, he has has rained down on us his grace in manifold abundance. And Peter says, serve one another that way. You know, it's possible to be a poor steward of the gift that God has given to us, isn't it? I believe every Christian should be serving the body of Christ every week because God didn't use, he didn't give us these gifts for us to not use them or hoard them. And so when saints are equipped, they'll do the work of the ministry. And, and uh, I've heard it said before, well, some people are full-time servants of God and others are not. But I believe the mindset that some people are full-time servants of God has done great harm to churches. We've created a distinction that the Bible doesn't. McDonald wrote that the distinction, quote, the distinction between clergy and laity is unscriptural and perhaps the greatest single hindrance to the spread of the gospel, end quote. See, when we limit the ministry to people who are in full-time ministry or full-time Christian service, we really rob believers of their ministries. We stunt the growth of the church. We stifle the cause of evangelism. It's not for me to visit the sick any more than it is for you to visit the sick. You know, this past week, we had several people who were in the hospital. Rob Harmon had a heart attack a little over a week ago on Friday. Um, Nate Henderson was in the hospital having tests done. Um, Robert Jennings is still in the hospital down at Henry Ford. My dad was in the hospital. having He had fallen, fainted and fallen. And so I headed over to the hospital on Monday, and I walked in, and, and I had gone to Nate's room first, and, and Nate, you were... Uh, counting sheep at that time and and uh, getting some rest. I didn't want to wake you, and so I headed back down to visit somebody else. And when I got to that room, uh, I think it was the Harmons, um, about that time as I was leaving one of the visits, all of a sudden Charlie Muse came by and the Birminghams were coming in to visit. And I said, hi, and my heart was warmed. When, when Rob 
had the heart attack, you know, I, I sat with the family for a little while and, and then I left and, and later uh, the Steinbachs came by. And then the Boykies came by at some other point to visit the Harmons. And Mr. Boyke told how he had tried to disinfect his hand and the thing exploded all over him. And later he was trying to get it out of his eyes. And, and my heart rejoiced, not because of the explosion, <laughs> not because of the explosion, but because believers were doing the work of the ministry. And some of you weren't able to make a hospital visit. Maybe you were sick and don't make a hospital visit if you're sick. But you know what? You wrote a note or you sent a card or you prayed. Some of you prayed. You got on your knees in your home and you prayed. You're doing the work of the ministry. You're ministering like Epaphras did. You're ministering like Paul did. You're ministering. You're doing the work of the ministry. And boy, that rejoices my heart. When saints are equipped, they do the work of the ministry. One last truth and we'll be done. Verse number 12, the latter part. God wants his church to be built up. We've seen that God wants his church to be mature. God wants his church to do the work of the ministry. And God wants his church to be built up. Look at verse number 12, the latter part. He says in verse number 12, the latter part, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What is the edifying of the body of Christ? And the answer is, it's the building up of fellow believers. The building up of fellow believers. Again, there's a common misconception today that pastors are the only ministers. Sometimes we're called a minister, a servant. That's what the word minister means. But the genius of the New Testament is that every born-again child of God, every saint, is a minister of God. And by the way, you can do that in your workplace, and you should. You ought to look at your workplace as your ministry. You ought to look at those people on the shop floor with you or in the office complex with you as your mission field. You ought to look at your home that way. You know, I can really discourage my wife. I could really hurt the faith of my four children. And you can too in your home. Or you and I can be used of God to build them up and strengthen their faith and encourage them. Sometimes we encourage other people outside of our homes and we don't encourage the people in our homes. And folks, that's not right because it's your ministry. Every believer is a minister bought by the blood of Christ, bound by the love of God, rooted and grounded in it. Every believer is to be a full-time servant. When we all do our part, pastors equipping, saints serving, ministering, The whole church is built up into what God purposed for us to be. When we use our gifts toward one another, the whole body grows to maturity and God's will is fulfilled. And who is it really that is doing the building in the church? Who is it really? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 16 and verse 18, Christ said, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Christ referring to himself, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's not man building the church. It's not the genius of men with their programs and their how-to and this new fad that's passing by. It's Christ building his church. When God's people humbly say yes to him and his word, 
God's perfect design for Trinity Baptist is that believers assemble together regularly, weekly, to be equipped by the preaching of the word of God, the whole counsel of God. And then this army of well-trained believers will go forth day after day, week after week, in the homes and in the highways, in the workplaces, to do the work of the ministry. Christ in us, ministering through us, reaching people with the gospel, encouraging people whose faith has been shattered, who've fallen are broken, mending lives. Christ through us, doing the work of the ministry. So the question really is, not what does God want for our church, but do we want what God wants for our church, for his church? Let's take our hymnals and turn to 